May God bless the reading of his word. Nothing like hearing your uh, 14-year-old son say the words weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, (laughs) This morning, uh, I have a couple of announcements before we begin our sermon. The first is to let you know that we have resumed our children's minister search. Uh, We've been in the process of... uh, looking for a children's minister. We think that it's important for our children to have a well-coordinated children's ministry program, uh, someone who helps us as a congregation facilitate that ministry as well. And so uh, the search team has resumed. They've come back together. They've made some revisions to their their uh, job description, uh, their expectations, and even the way that they're performing the search. The opening uh, the uh, for applicants is March 1st through May 21st. And this is up on the uh, church website at this point. We're, we're hoping to find someone in that time frame so they can possibly start the job this summer. Um, if you know of someone that you think is interested or you yourself are interested, I'd encourage you to talk to Lorenda. Uh, she's kind of the, the chair for the committee. Um, there are plenty of other people on the search committee as well, uh, and they're, they're going to be the ones doing a lot of the reviewing of applicants. But I want to encourage you, uh, if you know someone that you think might be a good fit, we're really hoping for someone with an education or ministry background uh, who's worked with children before. Um, but above and beyond that, we, we really believe in finding someone who's a Northwest native, who knows our culture and knows uh, what it means to work in our our society. And so uh, if you know someone outside of the Northwest, that's great, and we'd be happy to interview them as well. But we're really hoping to find someone pretty local. That would be fantastic. Uh, the other announcement, whoa, that's my fault. I skipped over that. Uh, we are looking for greeters. Now, uh, some people have been greeters in the past and done a great job of it. Uh, others have been greeters in the past and, and are great bulletin hander offers. Uh, if you're a great bulletin hander offer, continue to hand off bulletins. We appreciate that, but we're, we're uh, going to be going a slightly different direction with the way that we do greeting, and the greeting is going to require some training. As part of our welcome home ministry and our desire to be a more welcoming congregation, uh, our greeting position within the church is going to be something a little bit more... Uh, focused. Uh, We're looking for people who are interested in meeting new people for whom uh, it is not a difficult task to begin a conversation with someone they're just meeting for the first time. And so if you're interested in being a greeter in that context, someone who's ready to welcome a new face, uh, we want to encourage you to see either uh, Terry Sheehan or myself, and we're uh, looking to form a team of greeters. And so I want to encourage you be thinking about how, how can I potentially be someone who welcomes a new face to our congregation, makes them feel at home, even if it's their first time visiting with us. There's going to be some training involved in this. Uh, It'll probably be a one-day training, but uh, a lot of follow-up to make sure that you're supported well in this role. This is genuinely a role within our church that is essential to us achieving a lot of what it is that we want as a congregation and helping people become a part of the body of Christ, not just someone visiting on an infrequent basis, but someone that feels as though they belong here. And so uh, I want to encourage you to be considering this. Both of those announcements, if you missed any of it and you've already zoned out, that's okay. They're going to be repeated at the end of service today. But uh, I wanted to make sure that those announcements were made. 
We've been going through the parables of Jesus, and uh, we've looked primarily, and so far only, at Matthew chapter 13. And Jesus uses this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, to describe the attributes of the kingdom of heaven, the values of the kingdom of heaven, what it means to be a participant in the kingdom of heaven, but also what it means to be saved by the kingdom of heaven. And as Jesus goes through these parables, we should be looking for some pretty key things. What, what is being communicated here? Jesus uses the phrase, he who has ears, let him hear. Don't just let the words land on you and assume that you understand fully. Instead, spend time thinking about the things that have been said. This morning, we are talking about fish. Um, I am not a great angler, although I love, I love fishing. Uh, ever since I was probably Josiah's age, I, went, I was going fishing with my grandfather. I remember being out on the shore, and when I say I went fishing with my grandfather, what I really mean is I'd cast my line, and he'd watch the bobber for me while he was busy actively fishing, and then he'd call me over to come and grab the pole as soon as the bobber would go under the water because I was busy, busy digging in the, the bank or you know, whatever I was doing. Eventually, I grew out of that, and I became a little bit more active in my own fishing. Uh, but more recently, I had the opportunity to go on a fishing trip with my uncles and my brother. Uh, we went down, and we fished on the Rogue River for about four days. Uh, we got to float the river. We actually we hired some guides because uh, I don't feel much like rafting the river uh, by myself. The Rogue is a notoriously difficult river to raft uh, if you're an amateur. And so we went on a, a fishing excursion. Uh, you can see that there were four boats behind me. There's actually a, a fifth boat in front of me. So there were six boats of us in total. All of my uncles, my aunt Julie, my cousin Case, who's Micah's age, uh, and our buddy, uh, Joe Grobmeyer. Uh, Joe is a good friend of my uncle's from Alabama. Uh, Joe's been a part of the family for years. Uh, and Joe was my boat partner. And so as we were going down the river, uh, Joe and I got to know each other very well because we caught very few fish. And so we spent most of our time talking rather than reeling in. Um, I apologize to John Germain, who's not in here right now, for the Oregon Ducks hat, but you know my colors are revealed there. Um, as I pointed out, we struggled uh, in catching the fish that we wanted. Uh, in fact, in our boat, the largest fish that was caught was Joe's fish. We were fishing for salmon, okay? I want to be completely clear. This was the only, uh, we caught two keepers. Uh, because of the, the type of permit that we had, we could keep hatchery fish and we could keep uh, any, any of the squaw fish that we wanted. Um, <laughs> nobody wants the squaw fish, by the way, and I'll explain that in a minute. This was the largest fish we caught. Now, those of you who have been salmon fishing before know that you're usually hoping for something a little bit more in this vein and not something in this vein. Um, I, I will say this, I say that's the largest fish we caught. That's the largest fish we caught that we could keep, that we wanted to keep. Because as we were fishing, uh, I, I actually pulled in a very large fish. It was about 20 inches long. Uh, I spent a lot of time reeling it in and I was ecstatic. As soon as I felt it pull, I thought this is something really worthwhile pulling in. I fought it. 
I really fought it. And my, our uh, badger, uh, badger, the guy in the boat behind us, he was like, this is going to be it. This is the one we've been hoping for all week. You're going to have bragging rights. He's like pumping me up as I'm reeling it in. And when I pulled into the boat, it is the largest squawfish that I have ever seen. Okay. Now, squawfish are only good for one thing as far as fishers on the Rogue River are concerned. It's to kill them and throw them back because they are an invasive species to the Rogue River. They're not actually invasive to the whole Northwest, but they are not supposed to be on the Rogue. They eat the salmon roe. They are the, the worst predator in the river. And we want the salmon population to go up, which is why we can only keep the hatchery fish. You know, we understood that. But this squawfish was enormous. And when we killed it and threw it back in the water, you know, one of the things that we kept track of was how many times the eagles would swoop down and take whatever we had thrown back out of the water. And there was an eagle watching as we threw this fish back in. And I'm not kidding when I tell you we watched him for 40 minutes as we went down the river trying to figure out how he was going to pick this thing up. Okay, so he flew down, he made the pass, and he's like, nah, it's a little bit too heavy. And he sat up in the tree for a little while, and you could see him kind of mustering himself. He was going to swoop back down and pick it up this time. 40 minutes. We were in a nice, wide, slow spot in the river. And for 40 minutes, he contemplated picking this fish up, and it was too large for him. So I felt very accomplished. I caught a fish that the eagle could not handle, and that was, that was important to me. We did not catch a whole lot. I brought home a very tiny little bag of, uh, of fish, and it was, it was split amongst several of us. Um, Joe was very proud of his fish. He was insistent that he get a picture for his wife because he wanted to prove to her that he had actually come out and caught something, flown all the way from Alabama uh, you know, to go fishing, and this was what he, what he caught. We did almost catch a bear, and that's a story for another time, but I just want to be really clear. There was one point at which we're gawking at the bear, and the bear is gawking at us, and he sees a ledge up above us, and he decides he's going to climb it because he wants to get in our boat with us. And that was about the time that we all decided it was time to paddle. Um, and so I want to I be clear here. Uh, my experience as a fisherman is not... Uh, it's not one to brag about. You know, I haven't, I haven't ever been a great fisherman. I enjoy it. I'm not good at it. But Jesus was surrounded with people who were good fishermen, presumably. He called people out of their boats. Although then I think about it, you know, there, there were several times that Simon was such a poor fisherman that Jesus had to give him a miraculous catch because he'd caught nothing all night. And then maybe I feel a little bit better about my own record. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 through 50 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. Now, as I've encouraged us over the last several weeks, we want to pay attention to what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. There are a lot of elements in this story, but Jesus begins with the kingdom of heaven is like a net. It's not the fishermen who cast the net. It's not the fish who are caught. It's not the shoreline where they're being sorted. For the purposes of the parable, as Jesus is telling it to his disciples and to those who are listening in, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. Kyle had mentioned when we talked about the harvest and the weeds and the wheat, that this, the parable is not about 
the furnace at the end. I mean, the furnace is there, and we don't want to neglect it and ignore it, but it's not about burning up the weeds. The parable is about the idea that there is a, a harvest out in the field, and for the sake of the good wheat that's in the field, the good grain that's in the field, you don't pull up the weeds. You want to bring it all in. You want to make sure that everything is gathered. And then it's really up to the master to decide what's done with the sorting. Here in this parable, Jesus begins by telling us that the kingdom of heaven is like a net. And the net's whole purpose is for gathering, for pulling in, for acquiring. The net is not designed to be discriminate to decide what does or does not belong in it. Now, the interesting thing about it is, yes, we are going to say that at the end of the day, God, who is the king of heaven, is going to be the one that makes a lot of determinations about what does and does not belong. But the net itself is deeply unconcerned with what's caught in it. In fact, if you watch uh, shows like um, The Deadliest Catch, which... I have been told is a really bad example of boat fishing and net fishing because these guys are tremendously reckless for the sake of the actual programming. When they pull the net in, there's often stuff in there that nobody would value. That as far as the fishermen are concerned, it, it's worthless. As far as anyone who's observing would be concerned, it's the exact sort of stuff that you want to throw back into the water and just forget was ever in the net in the first place. That's the history of fishing with a net. You're going to pull in things that you didn't intend to pull in. That's what Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to. It is a non-discriminate instrument for fishing. Now, you see, when I pulled in my 20-inch squawfish and was tremendously proud of myself until I realized what I had, I didn't keep it. In the moment, I made the decision that this thing was going back. It was, it was going to die. It was going to be worthless. It was going to be nothing in the end. It was a disappointment to me. But the kingdom of heaven, this net that pulls in, it doesn't care what it's pulling in. It wants to be cast wide. It wants to pull in whatever it can. Now the parable does move on. It says it was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Notice Jesus doesn't say it pulled in every kind of good fish that you could imagine. All the ones we want to eat, the ones that gather a high, a high cost at the market, the ones that are going to you know, really just make our tables fantastic and wonderful and people are going to want to come and eat with us. He doesn't say it pulls in the right, the right kind of fish. It pulls in fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. There is a sorting. There are fish that are worth keeping, and there are fish that are worthless, that have no value to them. 
But it's not the net. It's not the net that makes the determination. It's not the ones who hauled it in that make the determination. It gets to the shore, and that's where they're sorted. That's where some determination and discernment is used. And what does Jesus call that? He says, so it will be at the end of the age. Jesus puts a timeline to things. I don't know how you interpret end of the age, but oftentimes when I read scripture and I find this phrase in there, I find it in reference to a time that is still to come. Something that we anticipate, something we look forward to, something that we believe is coming but has not yet arrived. And Jesus says the sorting, the determination about what's going to be kept and what's going to be cast aside will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think Kyle had mentioned this when we read the weeds and the wheat, or we read the weeds and the grain. One of the things that we often do is we, we figure that Jesus has put all the meaning at the end of the parable, because that's oftentimes how stories work in our culture. A story might be told for 400 pages, but it's the 401st page that reveals what it's all meant. It's like M. Night Shyamalan, right? You know, you have the sixth sense, and I'm going to give a spoiler for a movie that's over 20 years old, so if anyone hasn't seen it, I apologize. The whole movie, the entire time, Bruce Willis is following Haley Joel Osment around, seeing dead people with him, and like these crazy wild experiences that he's having, and he's supposed to be like, you know, a social worker for this kid, but it turns out that he was one of the dead people that this child was seeing, and the moment that that realization hits you at the end of the movie, and it hits him, it's this like, oh, the whole thing makes sense now. And that's how we read the parables of Jesus. Oftentimes we're in such a, a rush to get to the end because we want to see what's being said. Jesus is clearly telling us that, you know, something's going on here. What's he saying? What, what comes at the end? That must be the most important part. That's not how Jesus works. I want to be clear here that the focus of Jesus' parable is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's been his whole mission for Matthew chapter 13. What is the kingdom of heaven like? The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer. The kingdom of heaven is like seed out in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure or like a man who finds treasure. And here he says, the kingdom of heaven, for those who want to be a part of it, is like a net cast out and gathering all kinds of fish. I think it's not coincidental that when Jesus calls his disciples, 
He tells them, I will make you fishers of men. I see the work you do right now, and I want you to do that same kind of work for me. I want you to cast the net. When Jesus sends the twelve out to the various towns of the region, he sends them out into all the corners of Israel and even a little bit beyond. One of the things that he does is he, he gives them these miraculous abilities. He says, you will cast out demons, you will heal the sick. By the way, the only message I have for you, the equipping that I'm giving to you, is to pronounce that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they go out and they cast the net, not knowing what they're going to pull back in. I think sometimes we fail to read who it is that does the sorting at the end. The angels are the ones that Jesus says do the sorting. Of course, the angels that have aligned themselves with God and remain faithful and trustworthy to him are only going to do what God has asked them to do. God is responsible for the sorting. God is responsible for determining what belongs and what doesn't, what's a good fish and what's a bad fish. And sometimes we want to put ourselves in the position of the angels. You know what God has called me to do? To pronounce some good and some wicked. Now, recognize we are allowed to say this activity is evil. This activity over here is good. We can call a spade a spade and say, you know what? What you're doing is wrong. But we don't make the determination about whether or not God wants someone in the kingdom. The second that we do that, we have made ourselves the judge, and we're told we are not the judge. In fact, God alone is the judge. When we're talking about people, every last one of them needs to be caught up in the net of the kingdom of heaven. There is no fish in the sea that shouldn't be caught up in that net and given the opportunity for consideration about where they've found themselves. Because here's the deal. You remember when Kyle was talking about the weeds and the wheat and he made the point, it's not the harvester's determination about what gets pulled up and what doesn't. It's the master's determination about what gets thrown in the furnace and what doesn't. Pull it all up. Bring it all in. The harvest is plentiful. Bring it all in. It'll be sorted in the end. Some of those weeds, or what we think might be weeds, could potentially be the wheat. Some of what we might think are the wrong sort of fish might be the right sort of fish. And you know what? Given some time, I know this isn't how it works in fishing, given some time, if those fish are going to spend a bit of time in the net, they might become the right sort of fish over time. All of this is to say, what Jesus expects of us is to cast the net, to draw people in, to not discriminate about who does and doesn't belong in the net. Yes, to be wise and discerning in what is good and evil, but not to say this person doesn't belong, that person does. If you remember, towards the beginning of this sermon series, one of the things I had pointed out is that when Scripture deals with our determination about one another, 
there is one particular group of people that Paul is continually telling us, hey, be wary of these people. And it's always the teachers. Use discernment in those who teach you. Be thoughtful about what they are teaching you. Beware the false teachers. But Jesus doesn't spend, or Paul rather, doesn't spend a lot of time saying, beware the brother sitting in the aisle next to you. Be skeptical of your neighbor. Treat your brothers and sisters in Christ with suspicion of one another. I would challenge anyone in this room to find those words in Paul's writings. Paul instead encourages us to outdo one another in showing honor to one another, to love one another, to not cause one another to stumble. He encourages us continually to seek peace with one another, to value that above almost anything. But sometimes we spend a lot of time asking ourselves the question, is my brother the right sort of fish? Do they really belong in this net? I want to be really you know, transparent here for a moment. The funny thing about it is I don't think there's ever been a fish that's been caught up in a net that said, hey, you guys don't belong here. The fish is probably asking, how in the world did I get here? What's going on? I don't know if I belong here, right? There's a little bit more introspection. In fact, maybe if we were to you know, really evaluate Scripture and what it says about where we cast suspicion, it's not on our brother and sister, but maybe it's on ourselves. We're encouraged to use some introspection, some self-reflection, and ask the question, how did I get in this net in the first place? Do I belong here? Am I like the other fish in this net? This morning, I think that this is a, this is a very rich and multi-layered parable that Jesus gives to us, but I want us to focus on that image of the net. And I want to ask you this question this morning. Have you moved from being a fish caught up in the net who's evaluating whether or not you belong there in the first place to someone who is actively casting the net? Because I think oftentimes we arrive at the point where we're in the net and we say to ourselves, well, this is my lot in life now and I'm just going to see where it goes. At some point, Jesus cast a net for the twelve and he pulled them in and he spent time with them and discussed the matters of the kingdom of heaven And then he set them loose to cast the net themselves. So they were transformed from fish to men, which is also interesting. I think there are a lot of Christians today who have found themselves caught in the net and simply stayed fish the whole time. Who have said, now that I'm caught, everything is okay. I have no further responsibility. But the kingdom of heaven is not just the king. The kingdom of heaven is the people. The kingdom of heaven is the works of the king. Are we casting ourselves out as a net? Are we catching anything 
and pulling it in. I hope in your consideration of who you are in light of the kingdom of heaven that you have considered whether or not you've moved from being a fish caught in the net to a fisherman who is casting the net. And maybe even utilizing the gifting that God has given you to be the net yourself. At the end of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus asks his que- this question to the disciples, to all of those who are listening really, but specifically to the disciples. Have you understood these things? And I think he's asking us that same question. We've got a lot of parables to go. We're going to look at a lot of parables between now and the beginning of the summer, really. But here, Jesus asks his disciples the question, have you understood these things? And then he gives one last little parable, and he he essentially tells them any scribe who is trained for the kingdom is like a rich man who goes in and he, he finds in his treasure the old things and the new things. He brings them out. See, there, there's truth that we can understand that we've carried with us for a long time. The people who are listening to Jesus have spent their entire lives steeping in the truth of the Old Testament. The prophecies, the oracles, the, the teachings, the law, the prophets. Deep truths of the faith that they've dwelled on treasures that God has given to them. And as Terry's sharing on Sunday morning and shared last week uh, and during our class time, there were truths in there that they didn't even know yet. That they couldn't possibly have had without the context of Jesus and the resurrection. And when Jesus comes and teaches to them, he gives them not, not even new truths, but to them new treasures. He's telling us, hold fast to the truths, the treasures, the valuable things that you've had before, but give the new things honor right alongside them. I want to encourage you this morning to be prepared for new treasures, not the ones you've always just kind of taken for granted, but the new treasures that Jesus reveals to us when he tells us, for he who has ears, let him hear. When we go back to the words of Jesus, there should always be something fresh for us. A depth that we've missed before. And if we're not drawing out those new treasures, we're probably just staying fish in the net and not becoming fishermen ourselves. All of these are questions about sovereignty, about citizenship, about our civil responsibility. God is sovereign. Let him be the one to do the sorting. Let us be the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, let's cast our nets. This is, I think, the challenge of Matthew chapter 13 for us. Recognize that God is the one who's going to be responsible for sorting it all out in the end. Be thankful for our finding of this great treasure that is the kingdom of heaven and set ourselves to the task of casting seed and nets. That's the story of Matthew chapter 13. I think when Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear, this is what he wants the Newburgh Church of Christ to hear. 
that we have been given a great gift by a sovereign who deeply desired us. And now our commission is to go and share that good news, to cast the net wide to the people we think belong and the people we might unfortunately be a little suspicious of. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to be faithful, faithful fishermen. We want to be faithful workers in the field. We want to faithfully cast seed out into the world, regardless of the ground it might fall on. We want to grasp the treasure that you have given to us, and we want to invite others to see that treasure as well. God, I just pray this morning that you help us to see ourselves not as people caught in a net, wondering how we got here and if we even belong, but instead to embrace the reality that this is, this is good news for us and to be transformed into people who share that good news with others. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have need of the church this morning, I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. I'm going to sit in my timeout chair and think about what I've done. You're welcome to join me back there, and uh, I'd be happy to visit with you for a little while. Our elders would be happy to visit with you, and we've got some ladies here this morning that would be happy to visit with you as well. If there's anything you need of the church, baptism, a prayer request, you need someone to walk alongside you while you figure some things out, we want to we offer that to you. We're going to continue our worship at this time.